0: You are entering the Freedom Hut. A declaration of the deep state bombshell editorial published under an anonymous byline in the New York Times just hours ago that is taking a hammer to the Trump administration. Is this more skullduggery and underhanded nonsense from the deep state? Looks like it, my friends. We'll dig into that, and also the Kavanaugh hearing melee coming up on the Buck Sexton Show. This, this is the Buck Sexton, Sexton Show,
1: where the mission where the mission is to decode what really
0: matters with actionable intelligence. Russia.
1: One Make no mistake, America, America. Ready. Great you're a great American again.
0: The Buck Sexton Show begins.
1: Activate. Former CIA analyst, former member of the NYPD, Buck Sexton.
0: It is Buck Sexton now. I am part of the resistance inside the Trump administration. That is the headline, folks. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show. Wow. Here we are, folks. We have shifted so much over time, haven't we? We've gone from there's no spying, there's no deep state, to, oh yeah, there was spying on the Trump campaign, all kinds of spying, in fact, collusion with the Hillary campaign. Journalists being used as sources for the national security apparatus against a Republican presidential contender. And oh, by the way, the deep state is very, very real. Here we go. We have this this uh, piece in the New York Times. Just, just went up uh, earlier today and... I ha- I have to read some of this to you folks. I have because th- this is this is what we are up against. I know we're going to get to the Kavanaugh hearing, although there's some interesting stuff which we'll focus on. A lot of it was kind of a snooze fest, and and the whole kabuki theater of these. We should get rid of this confirmation hearing stuff. It's just it's just garbage. I mean, if you got the votes, vote them in. I mean, you know, we'll trust the senators in the majority to do what they do. This this is just. It's just a grandstanding fundraising opportunity for senators. We'll we'll get into some of that. There were some interesting things. But first, I wanted to focus on what's going on in this editorial because this is just a next level, folks. This is intense. This is what The Times says about this. The Times is taking the rare step of publishing an anonymous op-ed essay We've done so at the request of the author, a senior official in the Trump administration whose identity is known to us and whose job would be jeopardized by its disclosure. We believe publishing this essay anonymously is the only way to deliver an important perspective to our readers. We invite you to submit a question or blah, blah, blah. Okay. They're publishing an anonymous editorial. They are publishing essentially an opPO hit piece on the president without disclosing who it comes from. And I have to share with you some of what is is in this editorial because uh, folks, this it's just so perfect, isn't it? The New York Times makes this what they even admit is very unusual it takes this very unusual step of publishing in our tour. They claim it's from a senior administration official. Who wants to bet that this is somebody who's a DAS, a deputy assistant secretary or lower? This could be some some guy giving tours of the Pentagon for all we know. I I just, I'm, I'm not buying it, you know? One moment he's like, and now here we are at the gift shop. The next moment he's like, I'm part of the hashtag resistance. New York Times, I have a Pentagon badge I can get in the building. I'm a senior official. I don't think so. Um, and I, I, oh boy, I've got some, I've got some stuff to tell you about this. this. This really rubs me. This whole thing really rubs me the wrong way. But here's some of the verbiage in this editorial just came down today, anonymously published by the New York times. Here we have it. President Trump is facing a test unlike any faced by a modern American leader. It's not just that the special counsel looms large or that the country is bitterly divided over Mr. Trump's leadership. The dilemma, which he does not fully grasp, is that many of the senior officials in his own administration are working diligently from within to frustrate parts of his agenda and his worst inclinations. I would know I am one of them. Now, if we take the Times at its word here that this is a senior administration official, and I, by the way, I would want to know is this somebody that Trump brought in? Or is this yet another deep state holdover? What, what, when they say works in the administration, is this a person that was already in government during the Obama years? Or is this somebody that they just happened to bring in under the radar? This confirms what so many of us have been saying and thinking all along, which is that there is an element inside the government that wants to frustrate the will of the American people that wants to overturn the results, de facto overturn the results of an election, and they don't accept that he is the president. They don't accept it. They are not willing to sign on for this. But it's not up to them. He is the president. And in this case, this person did sign on by staying. It goes on. That is why many Trump appointees have vowed to do what we can to preserve our democratic institutions while thwarting Mr. Trump's more misguided impulses until he is out of office. The root of the problem is the president's amorality. Anyone who works with him knows he is not more to any discernible first principles that guide his decision making. Although he was elected as a Republican, the president shows little affinity for ideals long espoused by conservatives. Uh, in addition to his mass marketing of the notion that the press is the enemy of the people, President Trump's impulses are generally anti-trade and anti-democratic. And it goes on and on. I mean, this is this is all the stuff that you hear from the media. They found a, piece, a mouthpiece for this, and they're going to run with this all week. They are going to create a negative news cycle for the president based off of this one editorial that is unsourced, that we do not get to know who has written it, although I, I have a feeling that we're going to find out, meaning that he's going to be, they're gonna, there's going to be a real effort to find this person. Um, but, you know, they, they've, they've tried all this stuff and they've lied to us while they're trying it, meaning, you know, they, they claim the hashtag resistance and the anti-Trump, never-Trump left say that there's no deep state and that that's some kind of conspiracy theory. Well, now that they've given up on the Mueller probe saving them, because that's really what this is, folks. We're going to get back to the 25th Amendment. He talks about, in this piece, the 25th Amendment. That's right. Now that the Mueller probe, because he's agreed to take written answers from the president, you know what that means? No perjury, baby. Sorry. Uh -uh. No perjury trap. Now that that's off the table, they got to find some other way of convincing themselves that they're going to be able to end this Trump presidency. Hmm. So they're talking about in this piece, this anonymous author, uh, in talks about invoking the Twenty-Fifth Amendment. And so, but now that they have given up the Mueller probe, they'll come out and say, "Okay, well there is a deep state. Yeah, we we are we here we are part of the deep state. But the deep state, you see, is necessary in this context. They claim the deep state is there to protect you. The subtext." maybe even the text, of this editorial is that true patriots right now inside the government don't care what you think, don't care who you voted for, and certainly don't care for all of the advancements and benefits that the Trump agenda has brought thus far. They are trying to stop him. They are working against him. His own Bureaucracy, his own government officials are engaged in a silent mutiny as part of what could only be considered a slow-moving silent coup against the duly elected president of the United States. This is getting into Banana Republic stuff. This is really disconcerting. This should trouble all of us. And now let me say a few things about the, the whole concept here of, a, of an anonymous senior government official that is being uh, called upon here to write, or that has that called upon himself or herself, who knows, we don't know if it's male or female, to write this. If, in fact, the claims in this editorial are true, if the president uh, was reluctant to expel Russian diplomats because he loves Russia so much, uh, that he loves dictators and autocrats. I mean, this is all stuff that we've heard from the media already. So there's really nothing here uh, that I can point to than say that this is not what we would expect. If if you were to if you were to create a character to write an editorial and pretend to be a senior, if this were a an Aaron Sorkin TV show like The West Wing, and this were some liberal resistance character, this is what the editorial would read like. There's nothing new in here. There's no revelations in here. But it's all the stuff that we hear: the president's cra- crazy, he's erratic, he's an imbecile, he's—he's he's all these things. And oh, yeah, okay, fine. Unemployment's really low, the economy is booming, uh, bad guys are scared of us in the world stage. We're not bowing to dictators and begging for forgiveness from Islamists, and you know. But but that's in spite of the president. They say. Oh, isn't that a isn't that an incredible construct? He doesn't get any credit for all of the good things that happen. And there are all these secretive, really terrible things that happen that we never get to see and that never, you know, never show up in the public eye except when journalists are claiming sources tell them that this is what's happening. If this is true, if this premise is accurate that the President of the United States is what would have to be described as a clear and present danger to the American people This, quote, senior administration official, and how senior it is, is, trust me, it's, you know, it's not the Secretary of Defense, folks, okay? This senior administration official that's been given this massive platform to trash the president has an absolute obligation as a patriot in this country to come forward, put their name to this, and put their facts and allegations to the test. We are losing troops still on foreign battlefields. We have lost many thousands in recent memory in Iraq and Afghanistan. We have young men and women driving around in Humvees hoping not to get hit by an IED in Afghanistan on this commander-in-chief's orders. We have troops all over the world who put themselves in harm's way every day to protect our freedom and in the defense of this, the greatest nation the world has ever known. If you are working for this president and you think that he's actually a threat to the country, that he would be so reckless as to put us in a position where there could be a war started or even, God forbid, a nuclear exchange, which is the implication of this editorial, you're going to hide behind anonymity. Why? Well, because as the New York Times says here, the person does not want to lose their job. Oh, I'm sorry, you don't want to lose your piddly government salary? That's what... You you won't stand up and be counted? You want to call yourself part of the resistance or part of the deep state or whatever it is? Part of the resistance. It's in the title. You're going to call yourself part of the resistance hearkening back to the French patriots fighting against the Nazis in World War II and you won't even put your name to this? No, my friends, I'm sorry. If this is not remedied, if this person will not come forward, it is cowardice, plain and simple. And that cowardice can only come from a partisanship that blinds this person to what the real takeaway is from this, which is that the DS deep state is full of BS you know what. And now we're seeing them come forward because they, they realize they have, to, they have to switch the narrative. They have to, to transfer all this hatred and psychosis that they've gathered up in themselves and focus it on some other narrative that makes them think that they're righteous and wise and doing great things to the country. So you're going to see, oh, okay, Russia collusion, we can't get them on that. They're not going to be able to get him on uh, obstruction. No matter, Mueller might write something about, well, maybe he kind of obstructed, but who knows constitutionally. And since they can't get him on a perjury trap now, because it's going to be written answers to the questions, they got nothing from the Mueller probe to take down this president. So what are we going to have now? Oh, that's right. Defections from within the government of people claiming that the president is essentially mad, that the president has lost his mind, that he can't be trusted that we are all at risk because of this president. This is, being, this is being amplified by the biggest newspaper in the country. The most prominent written platform of the progressive left is using this to tarnish, to damage, in their hopes, irreparably, this president. This is what we are up against. It is now political total war. 844 900 2825. 844 Buck, if you want to chat about this. We do have some stuff from the uh, Kavanaugh hearing, um, and we should get into it, uh, and we will. So, uh, and more craziness from the left on that for sure. Uh, also, if you want, tweet at me during the show at Buck Sexton. Uh, we'll be right back.
1: Existence within the trump administration this is, this is what we have to deal with and you know the dishonest media because you people deal with it as well as i do but it's really a disgrace nobody has ever done in less than a two-year period what we've done so when you tell me about some anonymous source within the administration probably was failing and probably here for all the wrong reasons now. And the New York Times is failing. If I weren't here, I believe the New York Times probably wouldn't even exist. And, and someday
0: the president responding to this This op-ed, anonymous op-ed, and producer Mike and I were having a chat in the break. Mike, Mike, what what were your thoughts on this one? Uh, I was wondering how this is. My question was, how is this any different than all the other stunts they've pulled recently? We didn't have to go back far. um, To Bloomberg last week going public with off-the-record comments that he made, with Bob Woodward's book, with Omarosa, with Fire and Fury before that. It's, It's like I felt like it was a constant barrage of them playing stunt after stunt after stunt. None of them have worked. So my question to you was, you know, how's this any different? It's it's not. I mean, that's that. You're you're. It's really more of a question, I think, and I and I know you recognize that, which is that this is all part. This is all part of this massive effort. And one thing that I've been saying all along, and actually actually might have, uh, might have predated Mike when when you were working with me on this show, is I used to say that you watch in the Trump administration, you will start to see sources blown, and you will see off the record. Not respected like this. This is going to be they're going to throw all the rules of journalism out 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 the window because, as I've said, they're not they're not enforceable. They're not laws. They're not really rules. They will start to toss that aside, too, though, if it hits. And we've we've seen that as well. And now we're see- so I mean, here's another one. An anonymous op ed from an from an administration official. I got to say, you know, uh, uh, I've, I'm seeing some people I'm actually seeing some never Trumpers who are saying this is not helpful for us. And it's not. For exactly what I'm saying, which is that if if, if, Mike, I'll tell you this right now, man, when I was at, you know, when I worked the CIA, if I thought that like the CIA director, if I had personal and intimate knowledge, that sounds a little weird, but you know what I mean? If I had close contact with him on an issue where I thought he was going to take us to war or there was a real, you know, if I thought he was putting the country in imminent danger, I would go on TV and, and lose my job and say, guys, this is happening and damn it, suffer the consequences. We've got people who are taking much bigger risks every day all over the world. You're going to work for the government. You're going to say you're doing public service. You're going to work for the the Trump administration and write this editorial under the guise of or or, or with anonymity? Why? Because you might get fired? Oh, please, because there are going to be death threats? Every journalist I know on the right gets death threats all the time. This is total BS, which is what I think this is, by the way. It's a declaration of the deep state, but it's also a BS manifesto. Which maybe is one thing that we should start to popularize on this one. All right, we will talk Kavanaugh hearing too. That is coming up, so stay with me. He's holding the line for America. Buck
1: Sexton is back. But we also were able to finally conduct our hearing the way it should be conducted. Uh, yesterday was uh, just an opening statement we need to it was only uh, it was only our time as committee members that we wasted on disruption and disorder over procedural matters but today is different Mother Earth! Mother Earth! Mother Earth! To Earth! Earth! i don't know what this yeah,
2: Sham president, sham justice.
0: Sham. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, Uh, about as charming as Hillary Clinton. It's amazing, isn't it? Oh gosh, you you had this. This is great though. I mean, part of me, you know, producer Mike, part of me sees these hearings, I think. What a what a joke, right? What a, what the whole thing is such a is such nonsense. But also look at it, I'm like, no, no. I kind of like that the country is getting a good taste of what do true believers in the progressive movement, what do they really think? How do they act? How do they sound? I don't think it's going to motivate a lot of people to vote for the, the polls. That's my sense. And I will also say that Piper Parabo. Did you see that? Piper Parabo. I did. Most most famous for the Coyote Ugly yes! movie, yes, <laughs> which is a terrible movie, horrible, I mean, an un- unwatchable piece of garbage. Uh, she she was among those arrested. I guess she's trying to revive her career. <laughs>
2: Hashtag resistance. That was I just on recently ugly. too,
0: and I'm sorry to say that I watched it for about five minutes. Did you really? I'm sorry, you got to wash your eyes with bleach, man. man that's not this is true. That's bleach not bit good. So, uh, yeah, so, so there's, there's a lot of hashtag resistance stuff going on still. I do think it's good for us to see what Democrats are really like, what they're all about. And, uh, you know, you, you had protesters interrupting Kavanaugh, and Grassy made a good point, which is, you know, these people really think that their opinions are more important than proceedings that affect the lives of 300 million-plus Americans. Play four.
1: Who's Hamdan? democrats Uh, this is coming out of my time but that's okay let these people have their free speech and interrupt the other 300 million people listen uh, that this is your opportunity to speak to the american people and for them make a judge about it if they want to affect what the other 300 million people uh hear from you then that's just too bad you proceed now
0: yeah, he's just saying, you know, think it's so babyish and self-important and selfish to do this, to interrupt these proceedings. Although there's also a part of me that wants to say, just just screw it, get rid of these things, get rid of the proceedings. It's a joke anyway. It's all nonsense. In fact, uh, Lindsey Graham made a, sometimes he does. I think Lindsey Graham's a good man. I, I sometimes give him a hard time on the show. I think he's wrong on a lot of foreign policy stuff, but you know, I think he's... Or at least I disagree with some of his foreign policy impulses. Um, but I think he's a good guy. And, uh, you know, he he had, he had this point to make, which is that, you know, you have Kavanaugh, who is the quintessential establishment judge. Meaning that this is a guy with the resume that you couldn't have a better resume. He was voted, I think, 97 or 98, I forget, uh, voted to put him on the D.C. Court of Appeals, which is considered the stepping stone to the Supreme Court. So every box has been checked. Nothing about this guy is substandard or subpar. And Lindsey Graham goes on and says, you know what, guys, this is all a bunch of of nonsense and it's politics and we know it. Play 11.
1: All I can say, within an hour and 18 minutes of your nomination, you became the biggest threat to democracy in the eyes of some of the most partisan people in the country who would hold kagan and sotomayor up as highly qualified and would challenge any republican dare vote against them you live in unusual times as i do you should get more than 90 votes but you want and i am sorry it has gotten to where it has it's got nothing to do about you
0: yeah, it, it should be a point of embarrassment for any senator who doesn't vote for Kavanaugh. It should be a point of embarrassment because they, they voted on this guy, the D.C. Court of Appeals, right? The Senate almost unanimously said, yeah, he's, he's great for the D.C. Court of Appeals. And, and you, you know, it's really important for all of you to know or, or to keep in mind that the Court of Appeals is much more likely to have an effect on your life. You know, a very small percentage of cases that get to the appeals level make it to the Supreme Court, meaning that the Supreme Court only takes uh, uh, like 80, 90 cases a year. I think something like that. I think it's less than 100. Uh, The Supreme Court doesn't doesn't hear many cases in the grand scheme of things. Appeals court hears a whole lot more. And that's why we have the Fifth Circuit, the Ninth Circuit, the this circuit, the that circuit. We got all these different circuit courts. And the D.C. Circuit Court, because it's where the it's where the seat of the federal government is, deals with uh, specifically with cases that affect the federal government, and and that's why it's considered the stepping stone to the. Um, I mean, they all affect the federal government, but you know, the D.C. Court of Appeals, because of what is here, because the federal government infrastructure is going to deal with a lot of very high profile, you know, government related cases, and. You're much more likely to come up against, hopefully you don't come up against any of these people, but you're much more likely to come up against a, an appeals court judge than you are a Supreme Court judge. So that he would be good enough in the eyes of all of the senators, pretty much, for the D.C. Court of Appeals, the D.C. Circuit, and, and not necessarily good enough for the Supreme Court. It's, it is just obvious. It's politics. And it's a manifestation. I mean, this is the chickens coming home to roost of two very important phenomena that the left doesn't want you to keep in mind. That's what I'm here for, folks. I'm here to rub the left's face in reality. That's right. Look what you did. Look what you did on the rug, left. Look what you did. Bad. Uh, But this is where the the, the two things that come together are the uh, one... The politicization of the well, let, let me get before that. Harry Reid invoking the nuclear option. That's that's point one. Harry Reid decided to do this. And conservatives, I was among them at the time, said, You're gonna regret this. Cause once you once you set this in motion and pack the courts, which Obama, about a third of the judiciary, federal judiciary, are Obama appointees, folks. Obama's court packing was epic. And those are leftist activist judges to a man and woman I can promise you. Uh, So Obama packed the courts and that's why Harry Reid did that. Because they knew that they were, they saw an opening they couldn't help themselves. It was, you know, they saw that cookie jar and they just had to reach in. They couldn't help themselves. And now we look at it and say, okay. Well, you know, you did it and now you got to deal with it. You know, you want to get it, you're going to get it good. That's what happened here. So they started it. Don't forget that. And then the other part of it is the politicization of the Supreme Court that goes back for decades. And re- now people will say that there's a, you know, there's, there's a bad decisions that had huge ramifications. Wickard v. Filburn is one that comes to mind in the 20th century. Um, but r- really the, the beginning of the hyper-politicization of the Supreme Court, for most of us at least, the one that, the one that comes to mind is Roe v. Wade which is bad law, and the politicization of the court that occurred from that point onward has, we, we finally just accepted this, that it is a tool of policy for the left, and that's where I think, actually, I, I liked what Sass had to say on this. Senator Ben Sass, uh, on the hysteria surrounding this, play 17, people are going to pretend that americans have no historical memory and supposedly there haven't been screaming protesters saying women are going to die at every hearing for decades so the fact that the hysteria has nothing to do with you means that we should ask what's the hysteria coming from the hysteria around supreme court confirmation hearings is coming from the fact that we have a fundamental misunderstanding of the role of the supreme court in american life now that's right or rather, the left has created a fundamental disconnect between the original intent, if you will, you see what I did there, of the, the founders when it comes to the court and what it's actually turned into, which is a legend. Look, whatever you may think about, about gay marriage, same-sex marriage, whatever you think about it, uh, Obergefell was legislating from the bench. It, it was a legislative decision made by the Supreme Court. That's what happened. Uh, Whatever you think about Roe versus Wade, and and there's a lot of other cases we could throw in there, too, it was legislating from the bench. In fact, the affirmative action case, uh, Grutter v. Bollinger, in which Sandra Sandra uh, Sandra O'Connor said that at some point we won't need this, hopefully, essentially saying this isn't really constitutional, but we like it for now, so we'll keep it for now. I mean this is this is writing laws this isn't interpreting laws and the left has loved this for a long time it's given them a lot of stuff that they would not have otherwise given it's it's created I mean around abortion they've created this whole you know abortion access is a constitutional right I mean this is you, you you essentially in the leftist mind have a constitutional and taxpayer funded and government protected right to get an abortion not just to, to, it's not that you can do it and not be prosecuted for it, it's that the government has to enable it based on some Supreme Court precedents. which is, this brings me to one other thing, and I, I have to say it, and I won't go to, into too much detail on it today, or probably later on in the week. It's something, to, something that I want you to, I just want to put out there now, and maybe I'll follow up on it later on. One of the reasons there's so much hysteria around this is because for the first time in a long time, there's a realistic possibility that the whole uh, abortion movement could be dealt a major loss um, if, in fact, this goes through. Let's be honest about that. That that could, in fact, happen uh, because Roe is bad law and there are things. And it's not even really Roe that would be up. It's probably Casey, and, but... There are people in this country who I don't think can really handle the reality of what it would mean if there was no longer a federal government mandate, if they no longer had this, uh, this veneer of acceptability when it comes to abortion. Think of all of the people who would have to deal with the possibility that this is now an open moral question that is does not have the uh, imprimatur of the federal government on it. And they would now be in a position where they have to openly, at a state level and at a social level, defend these barbaric practices that have been going on for decades that have cost millions of lives. There are a lot of people on the left who it's, it's not just about how they've been brainwashed into thinking that this is a, a basic human right to take human life based on convenience, but that they would have to live with the consequences of those actions now the ethical failure inherent in those actions. And I think it would haunt a lot of people and that's not a reality that they want to live in or even could necessarily accept living in. I think that there'll be a lot of, of soul searching uh, that has to happen if in fact we reach that stage where there's even a, a truncation of abortion rights as they are called. Uh, that reckoning is something that a lot i mean many millions of people in this country will go to great lengths to forestall although in the end we all have a reckoning don't we 844-900-2825 844-900 buck we will uh, discuss uh oh we'll discuss the news of the day with my friend Raheem kasam he'll be joining us later on the show that will definitely be of interest to you also some thoughts on the economy and how i want things to uh I want us to take some action now. Oh, I'm going to run out of time here. I'll be right back in a moment. Stay with me. People that were coming along
1: and had a bag of money, and the people would hand them a piece of paper, and then they would give them money. So we knew that money was being exchanged for some of the people to be here just to protest. There was no depth to what their understanding was or anything. They were just here to be a protester. And they were actually told, we heard them say this and instruct them. When you go in, we want you to uh, to yell, to scream, and even to possibly get arrested. They seem to have no heartfelt uh, convictions about what why they were here. Again, if you had to pay somebody to protest, that that's a good tell. I think the most telling was listening to them giving names and addresses and giving inf- personal information. So when they were arrested and then heard of the
0: things that were going on inside and celebrated those who were kidding, keeping a record of who was that got arrested and who'd been carried off without any regard for any open discussion or even possibility of, of um, having a, a varied opinion
2: or
1: being transferred or being uh, convinced of anything just was for the purpose of disruption and have some kind of, of uh, destruction of the process.
0: Producer Mike, those are all doctors that saw protesters from the hearings paid in cash today where did we see where did we find this? Yeah, they were uh, uh three doctors from Texas who were came who made the trip up just to enjoy the process to witness history and as they were in line, they witnessed people being paid cash and being instructed on what to do. Ah yes, activist Astroturf baby. that's how they do. I wondered if Soros was handing out the money personally. Soros is always behind them. Uh, All right, let's get to it. we got Erica, who's been on hold for pretty much the whole hour. Erica, thank you for your patience. What's up? You're from an undisclosed location, I see. All right.
2: Yeah, I've got a strong sense of my own privacy. Okay, last Wednesday you mentioned progressive vocabulary. Yeah. And I have been dying to talk to someone
1: about this. Sure. Okay, so I have a collection of two-word phrases the progressives have created to make a negative a
2: positive or a positive a negative. To give it well, an emotional have, component to change people's opinion?
0: We have 60 seconds, so let's get to it.
2: Okay. Negative liberties, white Hispanic, spontaneous abortion, social justice, assault rifle, toxic masculinity, and white fragility. Oh, and strategic patience.
0: Yeah. <laughs> those are all... Those, uh, I mean, it, off the top of my head, you've got a pretty good list going there. Right? The war on language... It's it's, honestly, it's a book that I kind of wish I could write, uh, but that's, I mean, I could write it if I had the time, but it's something that we need to understand because the left is much better at this game than we are, and they're much more shameless about it, too. Erica, from an undisclosed location, from your secret Erica bunker. Thank you for uh, for calling in. Good to talk to you. Team, much more coming. I want to talk a little bit about the Amazon effect on the economy, and then we've got uh, a throwdown with Marco Rubio and Alex Jones. It's going to be crazy. He's going to make sure that the chemtrails, we get to the bottom of them. And and also Raheem Kassam joining in Hour 3, so stick around. I talk about simply Safe Home Security a lot on this show, and it's because it is simply a great security system. Fantastic protection, very easy to use, and I've got some incredible news. Simply Safe is a billion-dollar company now, folks. It's valued at a billion dollars. I've known these guys a long time. I've been working with them a long time, and here's what makes them great. Simply Safe gives you comprehensive protection for your home with round-the-clock professional monitoring and police dispatch. You get protection against intruders, fires, leaks, and burst pipes. And Simply Safe keeps working during power outages, whether it's down Wi-Fi or even if a burglar smashes your keypad. System's very easy to use, incredibly intuitive, and takes just minutes to set up. Uh, so check it out for yourself with Simply Safe. There are no contracts or hidden fees. Order your Simply Safe system now. My listeners get free shipping and free returns. Visit simplysafe.com/buck that's simply safe. S-I-M-P-L-I, safe.com slash buck to protect your home, Simplysafe.com slash buck. Welcome back, folks. Amazon has taken over everything it feels like these days. Uh, I, I know that uh, I, don't, I don't usually spend much time focusing in on the, the corporate world and, and commerce, but Amazon, first of all, is now a trillion-dollar company. Uh, and full disclosure, I own a tiny bit of Amazon stock, uh, but you know, Amazon is is a trillion dollar company, and it's it just seems like it's going to keep getting bigger and bigger. It's gobbling up everything in sight, and I just have to wonder what the implications are for employment in this country, for the the, the private sector um, more broadly. You know, what what does it mean when you can go online? I mean, I, I've had this i'll tell you why i'm talking about this in a second in terms of the news of it but when i need something now and maybe i'm just lazy which is probably true but i just go on amazon and just get it it's incredible i can say i need that thing that attaches to the table and holds the other thing i type in some garbled nonsense and it's like oh you mean this thingamabob i'm like wow the thingamabob can be delivered in 24 hours and it doesn't even cost me that much money this is incredible uh, you know, J. J. Crew. I mean, this is what made me think of this. J. Crew now has decided that it will sell some of its items on its site. I, I'm, a, I'm not really much of a of a J. producer. Mike, are you a J. Crew guy? Do you work? Do, he's not. He's probably out having coffee with some ladies. Producer Mike, I swear. You know, I, I turn my back for a second, and he's Brandon. You know, you are not a J. Crew guy. Nope that that is that is not your vibe. Band T-shirts van t-shirts what are band those? band, oh, band yeah. t-shirts what's that like you know jeans and a t-shirt wearing my guns N' roses shirt or my motley crew shirt oh band, band t-shirts yes. b-a-n-d mm-hmm. i thought it was a think about it that would actually be a pretty neat brand b-a-n-n-e-d t-shirts yo you got your band t-shirt you know what i mean because you're so badass no okay i'm gonna stay out <clears throat> of the fashion world sorry uh, but anyway, J. Crew, which is obviously a huge, a huge company, which got restructured, I think, some years ago by a private equity firm. A lot of you listening probably have some J. Crew stuff. Uh, those of you who are millennials, J. Crew definitely tapped into that kind of, uh, you know, urban millennial hipster demographic for a while. I don't know how many hipsters listen to the show. There's probably a few of you, but now they're they're just giving into the Amazon effect too. And you know, there's there's very few things ah Mike Mike is producer Mike is saying he is in fact a J Crew guy I, I thought so Mike you strike me as a J. C- J. crew fellow uh, I'm more of a Ralph Lauren guy myself I do both man you you do polo yeah Ralph Lauren I do both i like the uh I have a couple of polo shirts that are like I wore in high school that I still tried out there oh dude I've, I've got some that actually have the date on them I've got a couple of polo shirts from 2004 that I still wear on a regular basis I mean those my, my polo shirts are going to be able to vote soon So, you know, but this is, this is the point. The point I'm I'm getting to here, folks, is, is that this whole, the whole world of, of retail and online commerce is, is changing so rapidly. And to try and anticipate where all this is going, you know, for employment, I mean, I'm hearing that the jobs numbers are going to come out later this week. We may be at Uh, 3.7, it might drop down even a little more. I mean, this is just, it keeps going down. And yet we have these massive structural, you know, uh, pitfalls in the employment sector that seem to be looming. It seems like between the sharing economy with Uber and all the different, you know, like me, the scooters, scootering, hello, uh, with all the stuff that's going on there, you've got millions of people driving cars and Ubers and autonomous driving is happening soon. It's a question of when. Probably within five years, it'll be pretty mainstream. But autonomous driving is coming soon. People will say, oh, the, the cars, you know, the, some of the, there are going to be accidents in those cars. Well, yeah, but, you know, you look at you look at airline travel, for example. We go whole, whole years in this country, folks, of putting planes in the air at 500 miles an hour, and we have not a single fatality. When you start to look at that versus the uh, human-operated vehicles in this country... Human-operated vehicles. Another way of saying drivers. Uh, good job, Buck. You know, you got tens of thousands of people uh, dead or and, and injured in vehicular accidents. So would everybody be willing to take that number down to say, you know, if you could drop that number ninety percent, ninety-five percent? Don't you think we would do that? Uh, and and think about also how it would open up your time too. It's so much easier. I, I know. I'm, but see, I'm somebody who likes who likes the idea of autonomous driving. I've had special driving like Jack Ryan driving where you learn how to do cool things in a car uh, it's true I know some of you are like no way buck it is true I've had special driving training but I'm not somebody who loves driving and that's gonna ch- you're, you're gonna be able to sit there in your driver's side or, or rather passenger side uh, part of the car and just or, or or driver's side I guess if it's autonomous and just get, get taken wherever you need to go so th- that's gonna change but these things are going to have massive impacts on employment. Amazon, too, which is now a trillion-dollar company, can basically sell you anything. I mean, it's gone from I'll sell you books to I'll sell you name the thing. You know, I feel like it's just a matter of time before you'll be able to buy, like, a stealth fighter on Amazon if you're a foreign government that can get the approvals. So it's crazy what's going on there, and you, you have the looming, and maybe this is where I'm getting a little nervous, folks. You have the looming death of retail. Where you have so many people who are employed in in the retail sector across the country, the single biggest employer in terms of the numbers, and a lot of the, a lot of part timers and a lot of people that are, uh, you know, they're hourly employees who aren't even who aren't doing forty hours a week. But you know, re- retail is big. It's also seasonal, so you get people that work during parts of the year in retail, and that's gotta be shrinking. Uh, I mean, it already is, but. Uh, there's going to be a, a big change there. And you have the the sharing economy and drivers. So the service sector is going to be much smaller than it is right now. I think there's no way around that. And I don't know that there's a place for these jobs. To, people say, oh, but Buck, look at the... There's always been this... Uh, there's always been other places where people just transition and work. That is probably true over the long run. But in the shorter run, we may have a much bigger drop-off of these jobs and look, I, I want. I think it's worth having this conversation now because when times are good, you can actually prepare for the future, right? With the Trump administration being able to tout incredible numbers on the economy and incredible numbers on employment specifically, now is where we could probably try to get ahead of some of this. Uh, but because if, if we wait, if we wait until you start to see a massive shedding of jobs because all of a sudden the the Rideshare vehicles. For those of you who aren't really up on this, what's going to happen is Uber and these other uh, rideshares, where you you know you have an app on your phone, the car comes and picks you up. They are going to be partnering with autonomous uh, software, or rather autonomous driving software, so that the the fleet of cars that you're currently relying on to take you around—that's a rideshare—will just turn into vehicles driven by AI that will come and pick you up wherever. And once that starts to get rolled out, I think you're going to see a very, it'll be kind of like MP3s, right? MP3s was a huge, huge business, folks. Huge business until it wasn't. And ride share is going to happen in this way. And Amazon, the Amazon effect, I if J Crew has strong sales online, it's got to affect the stores that it has open. It's paying a lot of rent for these brick and mortar stores across the country. And I think that's going to have a, Really, a negative impact, and and we've got to keep an eye on this. But re- remember this: the uh, the Trump administration is able to withstand a lot right now because the economy is so strong. I think Trump has done some tremendous things to help the economy. I don't believe the people that are saying things like, "Oh, it's happening in spite of him." Or no, I don't I don't buy that. But there is a cyclical nature to this stuff, and we are facing you know, 20-plus trillion dollars of debt right now, you, you can't just laugh that off. You can't just push that aside. That's real. That's, that's an issue here. And, uh, you know, if, if you see a massive drop in the stock market and a big spike in unemployment, then Trump's enemies will be in a much better position to to thwart the agenda. So, and, and I think this structural, well, not structural, whatever you'd call it, this, this uh, mass unemployment that may be coming from AI and some of these technological advances that are basically here. They just haven't really been implemented fully yet. Something that you, you wanna to try to get ahead of. How? I don't know. Maybe, uh, Producer Mike, we should, we should reach out to some people that are trying to do the, what's the next step here? Because I really do think we've got, we've got big problems coming. Meanwhile, Trump is negotiating deals on things like Canada, play 16.
1: So Canada's meeting with us right now as we speak. We have to make a fair deal with Canada. As you know, they charge tariffs of 300 percent on dairy products, which a lot of people never understood. Uh, They have walls up against us uh, doing business in Canada, and yet they come and do business with us. And we can't let that happen. Uh, Look, we have a very strong position, and we are the one that people want to come in and take advantage of. Uh, They and other countries have been taking advantage of the United States for many years, And this is a president that has stopped
0: it. Now, these trade deals that he's doing, I I think that we're going to find out he's been right on this stuff. I think you're going to see it. Um, I'm I'm hoping that China will adjust its behavior. Never mind Canada. I'm hoping China will start to adjust its behavior. And I think that will actually send really positive signals to to the market in a lot of ways. I think that once we see China stop its predator or, or slow down at least scale back on some of its more predatory trade practices, that'll just be a point of real optimism that will affect the global economy. And I I think it actually could bring uh, bring China m- more into the mainstream and, and could affect it in very very positive ways. So you know I I think that's that's something for you all to keep in you all to keep in mind here because right now we're getting so caught up in. The minutia of the latest anti-Trump insanity—that uh, we're not looking at some of the—we got big, cha- we got big challenges here in this country, and I, I think Trump recognizes them. But his attention is being taken away from them to try and deal with all these crazy, you know, deep state dossier garbage heaps that get dropped on his front on his front doorstep. Uh, and and I, I think that this is this issue of of where we're going and what does the new economy look like and and how can we position ourselves forward and the trade deals that he's signing you know th- there this is a pivot point in our economic futures this is a pivot point in our national livelihood that's happening right now in a lot of ways i think trump is the right guy to handle it but you know we got to have less time worried about the you know less time with the administration worried about the woodward book and more time on what happens if all of a sudden we have 3 million people out of a job in a 12-month period? We got more coming up, team. Stay with me. Strikeforce Energy. Veteran are made one of the hottest new energy products on the market, folks. You see, Strikeforce Energy was developed by veterans. I know the CEO of the company. He's a former Navy SEAL. This guy's awesome. And he's all about making sure that you stay in the fight no matter where you are. Sometimes you need a little bit of a boost to do it. Over the last three years, Strikeforce has shipped millions of packets to our troops, both at home and abroad, And they are bringing this proven Battlefield liquid directly to your front door. Strikeforce Energy is available in four flavors. Zero sugar, zero calories, only the best ingredients. To fuel you through the toughest fights, simply add Strikeforce to water, tea, lemonade, whatever drink you want. Adds a nice little flavor to it. Go to StrikeforceEnergy.com, enter discount code BUCK at checkout. That's StrikeforceEnergy.com, discount code B-U-C-K at checkout. For every packet you buy, they'll donate a packet to military members around the globe. Again, strikeforceenergy.com, discount code BUCK. This is is what
1: the president tweeted in response to, obviously, he's on the other side of this. He says, United States does not need John Kerry's possibly illegal shadow diplomacy
0: on the very badly negotiated Iran deal. He Uh, he was the one that created that mess. He says that you have overstepped. Yeah.
1: Well, if I overstepped, I did. Henry Kissinger, Condi Rice, uh, you know, Colin Powell, uh, Madeline Albright, Hillary Clinton, everybody as a former secretary maintains their right as Americans under the First Amendment to be able to speak to people, to talk to other leaders, to be informed.
0: There you get John Kerry, by the way. I think he also don't don't uh, don't count him out, folks, for 2020. Uh, John Kerry is of that Political Milieu Fun word to say Where he thinks the nation really needs him He thinks that if we Did not have uh, John Kerry's To lead us We would be in grave danger Uh, What kind of danger? Grave Is there any other kind? Uh, So there's a quote for you Trump Trump slammed Kerry uh, earlier this week for the, well, for John Kerry's moonlight shadow diplomacy. He wrote, I see that John Kerry, the father of the now terminated Iran deal, is thinking of running for president. I should only be so lucky, although the field that is currently assembling looks really good for me, in all caps, from the president. Uh, So look, I, I do think that you might have John Kerry running again, but this this idea that John Kerry is just normally uh, is normally conducting, you know, is engaged in free speech. You know, this reminds me of the discussion around some of these deep state former intel guys, where it's one thing to have an opinion when you used to serve in government. It's another thing to leverage your former contacts from when you were in government on an issue that you worked on intimately as a person and then reach out to foreigners To work with them to undermine the administration's policy of the people that are currently in power. This is a different thing, folks. Okay, this is not writing an editorial in the New York Times. John Kerry was holding meetings. You know, John, and and keep in mind, folks, the same people who tell you that the incoming, and you cannot forget this, the incoming national security advisor was. Violating the Logan Act, okay, that General Flynn was violating the Logan Act for speaking to his soon-to-be counterparts. will on the other side of this issue, immediately take the position that you know John Kerry has First Amendment rights, and how dare anyone say anything? And rah rah, you know, they'll, they'll they'll go to that extreme right away. Uh, they'll go to, they'll go to that position, and I, I think it's uh, it's just so telling uh, that the shadow diplomacy that that he engaged in. Is is now, well, let's just say, being used as as some data point in his favor to have him run for president in twenty twenty. Uh, you know that, that it's it's not the point is not that it's illegal. The point is that it is part of a double standard. I I, I think that the Logan Act is an unconstitutional statute, and and it comes from an era of. And America. by the way, it goes all the way back to the, the filibusters and the filibustiers, and uh, it, it goes back to an era of when there were some Americans who were conducting their own foreign policy to the detriment of the United States. I mean, actually making agreements with people uh, to try and undermine America and, and its interests abroad. So I, I think that's a particular, you know, that's where you get to the you look up George Rogers Clark and William Blunt. Uh, so that's, that's where you get these guys who are kind of traveling revolutionaries. So this is, uh, this is where the, the, filibuster, the filibuster comes from people who are engaging in their own foreign <laughs> policy. And people engaging in their foreign policy was a real problem back in the day. Uh, there, there was there was a time when this would actually happen in a way that would affect the country's interests very negatively. John Kerry meeting with Foreign Minister Javad Zarif uh, and essentially acting like he is still the Secretary of State, e- even if it's not illegal, which I think you could argue it isn't, it's unseemly. And just remember that these same people won't ever accept that the other side gets the benefit of the doubt with this stuff. Uh, you know, the The Iran deal that Kerry crafted was a disaster. You'll know that you know Trump is pulling us out, uh, has pulled us out of this deal, and there's now there are now these additional sanctions in place, and they don't see any reason why this shouldn't continue on. I mean, the sanctions are bringing the Iranians to heel, or at least maybe we'll bring them to heel. It mean, might might bring them in line and, and show them that we mean business on this issue. But you know, Kerry. Clinton, uh, folks, they they have such a weak bench. The Democrats they're gonna they're gonna go with a retread, and if you think of the psychology of this, it makes a lot of sense. If you think of what the Democrats really want, they want to erase Trump's victory and act like it never happened. The only way to really do that is with either Hillary or Kerry, or to try to get some legal justification for an Obama third term. But th- those are the only ways they think they can do it. Uh, we'll be back with much more. Stay with me, ma'am.
1: If you'll please take a seat, or we'll have to have you. Then you'll I'm need to relieve. Donald leave.
0: Trump, help
2: us, please help us, Mr. President, before it is too late, because Jack Dorsey is trying to influence the election huh? to sway the election.
1: What's she saying? I can't understand her. What? The that is why what she... and Hot fifty dollar down here, to Officer, will 55, you 55, escort 55, this 55, young 55. lady out, please? Yep, two half and a half an hour, high, but 25 now 575 7 dollars 580 5 eight, a half now, five seventy-five, seven and a half, nine, five, $70, $70, eighty dollars a five, and a hundred dollars a and a quarter one, a quarter one, the the to and a and a quarter, yeah, but four, four and a quarter, four and a half. We're selling the cell phone there, four and a quarter, four and a half, and yeah, four and a half, four seventy-five, five hundred five, five, five and a quarter, five and a half. I yield back.
0: <laughs> so, in case you uh, didn't pick it up there, because it's kind of tough, that was a a protester. Not interrupting the Kavanaugh hearing, but interrupting the uh, hearings on Capitol Hill today involving some of the social media giants. Uh, Twitter's Jack Dorsey appeared before Congress. And, and this is important stuff because there are very real conversations that are underway uh, right now about what should be done. When it comes to social media and these companies, I I know that people think of them as kind of silly and time wasters for kids, but but increasingly, the, these are the ways that people get their news and information. The social media platforms have more money and more power than any single publication, channel, you name it. It's, and it's not even close, by the way. I mean, it's not even the same. Facebook is more powerful than than CBS by a factor of a hundred or maybe a thousand. It's it's not even in the same same ballpark. So this stuff really matters. Anyway, it was funny there you had I don't know which member of the uh which member of the house it was. Was it no it was a senator. Right? Yeah. Um no well who was the who was that uh, Brandon do we know who was that? Um no yeah it was Congressman Billy Long. There you go. Uh, this was a congressional hearing today. Uh so I didn't know who Billy Long was. So I was like, wait, which what is he again? Um, but this is an, another moment where we step back and say, well, hold on a second. Why uh, why are there these hearings going on on Capitol Hill in the first place? And it's because everyone's woken up now, I think, to the reality that the social media platforms are not level playing fields. Let me apply some Trumpian thinking here for a second to this too. Here's the general conservative impulse on these issues. We're talking about social media platforms and censorship and shadow banning and all this other stuff. Conservatives say, well, we don't want government regulations. We should let the free market decide. And to that, I would say, well, hold on a second. These social media companies are operating in a landscape where they have basically no content regulations of any kind. And if they decide right now to start skewing the table toward one thing or another, they can do so with, with relative impunity. Keep in mind, folks, th- there are restrictions on what you can put on TV. There are restrictions on broadcast radio. I mean, the FCC spends a lot of its time regulating the ways that the rest of us get our information, whether it's on radio or or TV, uh, and the internet skirts all of that. So this is kind of like the discussion about 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 trade wars. Then that's what I'm that's what I'm getting at here with the Trumpian logic. The same way that people say, whoa, we want free trade. Okay, fine. We are, yeah, we want free trade and trade wars are bad, but we don't have free trade. With Facebook and Twitter and these other companies understand that, yes, we don't re- want regulation, but other speech is regulated and these guys are not. So it's at least worth understanding, well, what are they doing and what transparency does have to be enforced here? Uh, you know what is that? What is the truth in advertising, if you will, that we expect from the social media platforms? Uh, if if they're lying to consumers, isn't that a problem? Right? If they say they're not shadow banning, but they are shadow banning, isn't isn't that an issue? I mean, you know, you can't you can't say that you're having a going out of business sale if you're not actually going out of business, right? I mean, there are there are limitations that we we observe with these things. Um, and and look, it makes me uncomfortable too that. The moment we start talking about regulation, you know, Democrats are going to be better at that in a sense than we are. But don't think of it necessarily as regulations. Think about it as social media rules of the road, uh, social media transparency, or, or at least honesty, and and how that will how that will function. Uh, Mark Warner started talking about new regulations, and uh, he, here's what he said. Play clip nine.
1: Would that go as far as actually having a um a policy on your platform indicating i wouldn't ask you to take down them but at least allowing the user to know whether that contact was initiated by a human being versus a machine as as far as we can detect them uh, we can certainly label um, and add context to accounts that come through our api where it becomes a lot trickier is where automation is actually scripting our website to look like a human actor
0: you know, it's it's getting tougher, but there there is technology out there where they can try and separate it. Out. And this is one of the biggest things by the way. I mean, it's so annoying. You get all these bot accounts everywhere, and and it's just it's just the the equivalent of an email spam in the 90s became this scourge that you really couldn't you really couldn't avoid. Uh, and and it was threatening to like overload the internet at one point. And they cracked down on it. Uh, the ways that, the ways that exist to get rid of bot accounts Hopefully, will proliferate to the extent where you know it should. It should be that we can tell if it's a real person or not, and and I also want you know the verification of ID as much as possible for social media accounts. Meaning that at least it has somebody has to be tied to and responsible for for every social media account. And I mean, I, I did my little my little nerdy electronic scooter thing recently. Well, I did it today, if I'm to be honest with you. And before you you can start sign up and writing, you got to scan to an app your driver's license. I'm not saying you get rid of the anonymity of all Facebook accounts and stuff, or, or all Twitter accounts, because I know people like to be able to say what they want to say. Although now you can't even really do that, but at least it has to be tied to a human being who's responsible for what goes on there. Uh, I, I think that's I think that would make the internet a much better place. Certainly true of Instagram as well, because you got a lot of celebrities, by the way, that have you know impersonators out there and all kinds of stuff. It's it's really bad. It's, it's look, it's the wild west online. Um, but you know when you start to push a little more into the ideology of the people running these platforms, you know, we we should be concerned about this. And this is a new era of communication. Uh, When uh, when Tom Cotton uh, asked Twitter's Jack Dorsey about this one, here is about what he thinks about America and, you know, where does patriotism fit into the whole global internet superpower complex? Here's how that went. Play 20.
1: Would you now... Reconsider consider the decision to cease your cooperation with the Central Intelligence Agency or other American intelligence agencies? We're, we are always open to any legal process uh, that an agency would present us. Is Twitter an American company? We are an American company. Do you prefer to see America remain the world's dominant global superpower? I, I, I prefer that uh, we continue to uh, help everywhere we serve, and we are pushing towards that.
0: Notice, you know, when you're talking about these leftist folks out in Silicon Valley and wherever these big Internet companies are, are based, patriotism is not cool to them. They, they don't think of they think of a an obligation to humanity writ large. They don't really think of themselves as having any necessarily any, any patriotic obligations or obligations to support their country uh, and its interests above others. And I, I think that's a problem. And once you start to understand how that plays out and and what that means over the long term uh, for some of these companies, you start to wonder, well, aren't they, don't they cross over into a national security, into the national security realm at some point too? I mean, Facebook, not quite the way that people thought, but it, it has the ability and Twitter too to play a role in, you know, upheaval in foreign countries. I mean, Facebook has been used for organizing mass protests it was very important in the Tahrir Square uprisings in in Egypt Uh, it's been used by a lot of a lot of political movements to tremendous effect so you know these hearings that on Capitol Hill were were very important uh, because we need people to know more about exactly what's going on with these platforms Um, and I I think oh by the way Google didn't show up which was interesting uh, that that was another part of this google decided that it didn't uh it didn't have to attend these congressional hearings on the meddling in the 2016 election so uh you know the ceo of tw- of twitter and the coo of facebook were both in attendance right so you did have Sheryl sanders and as i said you heard from jack dorsey there for a little bit uh, but there are hostile purposes that the, uh, uh, that the bad guys are using these platforms for, and there's, there, it's, it's a fair question to know what exactly the limits are of that, right? When, when does a country, uh, when, does, when does rather a, a social media platform, Facebook, Google, Twitter, when are they able, or when should we expect them to take action that would help us against a foreign adversary? You know, Google... Uh, doesn't really seem to care all that much about some of the American people's interests here, but it uh, operates in China, communist China, no no problem. Uh, And then you also have, in addition to this, Google, by the way, I mentioned the lack of patriotism. Google didn't renew, this just happened a few months ago, It's contract for a Pentagon drone artificial intelligence imaging program. So, you know, the Googlers don't want to be a part of the military industrial complex. uh, But that also means that they aren't necessarily willing to help with any important. And in that case, by the way, when you're talking about drone and imaging technology, that could actually save lives because we're going to blow up bad guys no matter what. It's just we want to blow up the right bad guys or rather the right people. And and limit civilian casualties to the greatest possible extent. There's a, there's, I'm telling you, there's this, it's not just the leftism that exists at these companies. That we, we know is coming out more and more now, right? That these companies are run by and for Democrats. You also have to take into account that they have kind of an internationalism and a cosmopolitan, uh, cosmopolitanism that as, is very in vogue at these companies. They think of themselves as global platforms, not as American companies first and foremost operating in a global marketplace. That's an important distinction, folks. It's one that uh, we should continue to look at. We've got a whole lot more coming up. Stay with me.
1: There's an empty chair next to you from Google. They're not here today.
2: Um, and maybe it's because they're arrogant or maybe it's because there's a report that as of last night, this just posted at 3.36 yesterday, this group went on basically pretending to be kremlin link trolls. They did everything. They used the, the details of the Internet Research Agency, which is a Kremlin-linked troll farm, and were able to buy ads online and place them on sites like CNN, CBS This Morning, HuffPost, Daily Beast.
0: So uh, maybe that's why Google didn't show up. Not exactly doing all they can to uh, man the barricades of freedom for America and prevent uh, Russian trolls from buying their ads. But I'm sure it's maybe... I, I think it's probably more complicated than, than Marco Rubio is letting on, but maybe it's not. But speaking of complications, Alex Jones. There he is, Bilderberg's the Illuminati. You know, Google it, Google it. Alex Jones was up on Capitol Hill today. My uh, colleague, actually, Molly from not to be confused with Miss Molly, but uh, Molly uh, from The Hill was there, and she actually caught some of this audio herself, but Alex Jones confronted, confronted Marco Rubio in the hallway on Capitol Hill before this hearing. Now, remember, Alex Jones has been kicked off by the Illuminati. They've kicked him off the platform, and it's it's a disgrace. Totalitarians, man, they're coming for you. And Alex Jones accosted uh, Rubio and actually put a hand on him, and it was quite a, quite a testy exchange. Play seven.
1: Look at this guy. He's saying that I don't exist. I just don't know who you are, man. I don't really know who you are.
0: Sure, sure. And they demonize
1: me in these very hearings. And then he plays dumb. Infowars.com, you know what it is. Oh, well. Just Google. Just Facebook. That's why you didn't get elected. Do, do they need to be Mark Aruba on the snake. <laughs> <laughs> Little nice. frat boy here. All right, man. Yeah. yeah. Well, who are you? How yeah, are sure. I swear to God, I am yeah, not know who you, better you, are, you can man. better hope you're not me Tens of millions of views. Bigger than Rush Limbaugh? He knows who Infowars well, is. Playing this joke over here. That's why hey, the deplatforming didn't work.
2: But, but yeah, here's, here's the question. Here's the question. Hey, don't touch me again, man. I'm asking you not to touch me. Well, sure, I'll just pat you nicely. Please. I know, but I don't want to be touched.
1: Well, you want me man. to get arrested? I don't know who you are. It's, it's not, not just going to take my get first arrested, amendment. Man. It's, it's not just enough to arrested, take my first amendment. Oh, oh, he'll beat me. up. Did you? I didn't
0: say that. I know I am, but he's so mad. You're not going to silence me. Oh, tens of millions of years bigger than Rush Limbaugh. Let me tell you something. Alex Jones is not bigger than Rush Limbaugh. There's that. Uh, let's let's just start with that. Uh, but then also, you know, Rubio... I think Rubio handled this very well. I, I think you could pretty much pick up from the audio. They're in a hallway and there's video of this and, and Jones is just trying to bait him. He, and that's what he's trying to do. He's trying to just antagonize Rubio into saying, you know, go blank yourself or something, which, I mean, I wouldn't blame Rubio if he had said it because Jones is just way up in his face. Rubio says he doesn't know who Alex Jones is at all. I... I I find that I'll be honest. With you, I find that hard to believe. I think that Alex Jones, because of the Megyn Kelly interview and everything else, he's become the uh, the kind of poster boy for right wing crazy. You know, he's the one that that the left will point to. They'll say, "What about this Alex Jones quote? Look at how crazy he is, right?" And then people like me have had to be on TV. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't agree with Alex Jones. We don't share an ideology. He's, you know, the whole thing. Uh, so that part of it, I, I find a little. But you know what's Rubio going to do, man? I mean, he's stuck there in the hallway. There are cameras everywhere, and look—you you don't touch strangers. You know what I mean? Because that, first of all, it's—it's it's a very short—it's a very short amount of time between someone puts their hand on their shoulder to somebody grabs you by the neck to somebody actually assaults you, right? I mean, it, it's once you start breaking that physical barrier with a total stranger like that, things can go south really quickly. And you know, Rubio saying I'll handle it myself, yeah. You know, I, Rubio is. Look, I, I I totally agree with him there, uh, and you know. By the way, I mean Alex Jones. He's got a big blustery voice, but uh, he's you know he's 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 not exactly somebody that I would. Well, I I, I will I will stop there. Anyway, I, I think that Rubio was just trying to say back off, and uh, I think that that was the right move under the circumstances. He was enforcing boundaries without being a uh, without being a you know a, he wasn't being a wannabe tough guy. And I hate that too, right? When people. People start antagonizing you and you say, whoa, hold on, back off. Like, oh, sorry, tough guy, right? It's a very kind of passive-aggressive BS way to go with things. Uh, but Alex Jones, man, making noise today up on, up on Capitol Hill. That guy, uh, he's, he's been turned into a free speech martyr, folks. I said it all along. And, and he, he is. He is. He's been deplatformed. People are now going to say, well, hold on a second. You know, if they're picking winners and losers on these Facebook, uh, on, on these Internet giants then maybe the government does, you know, have a role to play here. And, and that's not a road we want to go down, but I think we're going down it. If you're hiring and you need somebody to do the due diligence on each and every hire, whether it's for somebody who's at an entry-level position all the way up to your CEO, you need somebody that you can trust who can get the job done quickly, efficiently, and discreetly. Global Verification Network is the company for you folks. They are dual-certified and veteran-owned as a background investigation and vetting company. They're based in Chicago. Their risk mitigation experts will work with you on whatever concerns, questions, or issues come up in the background investigation process. If you're a small company, all the way up to the biggest companies in the country, Global Verification Network should be your background investigator of choice. Go to mygvn.com. Again, that's mygvn.com. Or call 877-695-1179. That's 877-695-1179. And team, be sure to tell them you heard about them on the Buck Sexton Show, Global Verification Network, leave no stone unturned. All right, ladies and gentlemen, back by pa- uh, popular demand, we have the one and only, the the, the gentlemanly, the debonair, the man about town, Rahim Kassam. He's with us now. He's a former advisor to Nigel Farage, also a, a Claremont Institute fellow, uh, author of No-Go Zones, which I love just because of the title. Uh, great to have you back, my friend Rahim. How are things going? Well, what is this popular
2: demand thing about, Buck? I don't believe it for a second.
0: Oh, is it's, it's because like when we had you on the podcast, I, I got to start forwarding you the emails I get from ladies who listen to the show who are like, I just love Raheem's accent. <laughs> There's a lot have, of that. Do they have phone numbers attached
2: to those emails? <laughs> I
0: was going to say, we're going to have to have some of them, you know, send in a full bio and everything Also, see where it goes. True story for the folks listening. Last time Raheem came by my office, I heard a bunch of young <laughs> women yell, "Rahim," and they all ran over to him and I said, ah, Yes. Of course. Raheem is in the building. All right, my friend. Let's let's get to He's laughing because he knows it's true. Let's get to some stuff here. Um first off, you, you are you and Steve Bannon are close. You used to work at at Breitbart and and you're working with Steve now on a project which maybe we'll get a chance to talk to uh, talk about in, in a moment. Mm. But the new, the New Yorker bailed on Bannon at a, at a, at I a, a believe what is considered an ideas festival. I just how much more gutless can the uh, can the so-called intellectual progressive left get? Well, I think that's
2: exactly how how Steve described them as well in in, in the response to this sort of surprise cancellation that took place um, earlier this week. As you say, Steve was due to speak at the New Yorker Festival of Ideas. Uh, I suppose somewhere along the lines, they decided they wanted it to be a festival of idea um, and and prohibit any sort of dissent from from you know the. The uh, school of thought of uh, Jim Carrey and Patton Oswalt and uh, somebody else that threatened to boycott the festival if Bannon was uh, to turn up, um, but it's a, it, I think it's more of a shame for them than it is for him because you know he was he was David Remnick, somebody who has held himself up as a as a, as a, as a curious person, as somebody who understands irony, uh, as somebody who understands the the, the, the critical nature of the. Uh, uh, the, the fight of ideas and how important that is to uh, obviously not just the United States, but the United States in earnest and, and indeed Western civilization. And he caved. He caved to a bunch of Hollywood liberals and 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 people who have covered up for pedos and perverts their whole lives. Um, and I and I say that uh, I say that you know with my tongue in my cheek, but also uh, with a, with a sincere sort of aghastness about how these guys who have worked with the likes of Harvey Weinstein and Kevin Spacey all their lives, are determined to be still acceptable. Uh, but somebody who helped the president get elected um, uh, in the interest, I would argue, of, of of ordinary working class people is deemed to be unacceptable. That's so a great I new world, but
0: I have a, 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 a perhaps far too much contact with liberals in my day to day life. Raheem, it's something that I really need to work on. But when when this issue specifically came up, including among some people I, I know in, in the media world who are who are on the left, there was this this knee jerk uh, this knee jerk uh, well you know Bannon, his ideas aren't it's not that they're wrong it's that they're dangerous. And then I said okay okay, okay l- let me just take that which I think is g- generally speaking a, a nonsensical premise. But anyway, l- let's just assume that that's true. I said okay, what is the idea? Like, give me one of his ideas that is too dangerous for him to be able to talk in front of people at an event where he was invited. And what you get uh, is, is silence. They, they couldn't tell me what the idea was. And then it just turned into, he gave a platform to white nationalists. You know? So, so it's, really, it's really not the ideas that he has. It's, it's associations that they are objecting to without even getting any specifics. It feels to me, Raheem, like where does that stop and start? I mean, and, and, and what white nationalists are we talking about? Well, so two things here. Number one,
2: uh, you yeah, know, I, I, I tend to disagree with you in, in, in a sort of broader sense about him not being dangerous. I think he's incredibly dangerous. But what he's dangerous to is the status quo. That's what they really mean when you read between the lines. What he's dangerous to is, is the hegemony of CNN. He's dangerous to the hegemony of the deep state. He's dangerous um, to the idea that the, the, the constitutional norms, as this country has known them for so many hundreds of years now, uh, are tossed out the window in, in favor of sort of uh, an administrative state and executive orders and, and so on and so forth. So he is dangerous to them in that regard. Uh, but the second constituent part of that is I have to say, and I often say this, mostly privately, so maybe you're getting, you're getting it exclusively here. I can't remember if I've ever said it on air before. But But if he were a white nationalist, and if he gave platform to white nationalists or white supremacists or anything like that, then he has to be the least effective person possible at that job. I mean, he appointed Raheem Kassam, a former Muslim brown British guy, as as one of his senior editors. Alex Marlowe of half-Jewish descent was the editor-in-chief of Breitbart. Joel Pollock, uh, the editor at large, another Jewish man. You know, this has got to be the world's least successful white supremacist if he's supposed to be one. Um, but as you say, you know, they, 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 they sort of regurgitate what they hear on MSNBC uh, and think that will get them through a, 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 con, a conversation on the matter. The fact is, uh, as you know and I know, uh, is that uh, millions of ordinary people out there, in, not just in the United States, but all across Europe and the United Kingdom now, as well, just do not listen uh, to what the, uh, the the news anchors have to say. Or, 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 or while they may listen to it, uh, they actually apply a deeper level of scrutiny than ever before. So it just doesn't fly. You can't have the debate on these farcical and facetious terms anymore.
0: And I, I just want to have a quick pitch here to you, Raheem. Please do, uh, do, do tell Steve. Uh, we would love to have him on on Rising. I mean, I want to talk to him, and I, and I know it would be very interesting to see him and my uh, my co host, who's formerly an MSNBC anchor, uh, engage on these issues. And we we both agree we would love to have him on. So please pass along the word to Steve for when he's in in DC, because uh, we we do not think that he needs to be uh, deplatformed, and, and I certainly think that he's got some fascinating ideas. Uh, but uh, but speaking about the media and the the threat to their uh, uh, he- hegemony, the Op-ed that Chuck Todd wrote. Did you get a chance to see it? Do you know what I'm talking about? I did. Ch- Chuck Todd is over at his little perch at NBC, kind of slash MSNBC. Right? He 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 crosses over into both worlds, which I think is interesting. There's this perception among the public that there's a uh, a wall of separation between the outright insane leftism of MSNBC and the editorial lines at NBC, but it's really not, it's really just, one is a slightly gussied up version of the other. I mean, it's not really all that different, but he's he's taking these shots at conservative media, and I just want to know, I just want to know, Raheem, why can't he actually have any of these people on his show? Or why doesn't he ever have a real, why can't any of these people, Tapper, uh, Chuck Todd, you know, go down the list, that want to talk about the destruction of the media that's being wrought by conservatives, they never have actual conservatives, not you know, the Jennifer Rubens of the world, uh, but they won't have them on their show to discuss the issues. I, I smell cowardice once again.
2: Well, and, and I suppose this gives me an opportunity to also bring in uh, the, 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 the big to-do of this last week, which was the funeral of John McCain, um, as well into all of this. I mean, you know, uh, uh, eight years ago, remember, this was a man that they were smearing as uh a racist and a xenophobe and an extremist and, and all sorts of things because he was running for president under a republican ticket and now they profess that you know he's the uh or was the pinnacle of bipartisanship and everybody should look up to him we should rename every single building street and bridge and tunnel in washington dc after him um and and so on and so forth i mean Here's what I don't understand, and I was actually saying this to a colleague of mine over lunch today, um, Buck, is that if the left had any deafness, had any irony, and had any humor and self-reflection about what it does and what it professes, I think our side would be in some trouble. I mean, we'd at least have a fight on our hands. Um, and I, I, I like a good fight, so, so I, I, I will give them a bit of advice. You know, these, these sorts of Chuck Todd uh, opinion editorials, which are read by about 50,000 people, uh, inside the D.C. Beltway and in midtown Manhattan, I mean, firstly, they're not convincing anyone. Secondly, for anybody else in the country who is actually reading these things, maybe they're reading them on the, you know, Ivy League campuses as well. But for real people who, who, who stumble upon these things, it just rings completely untrue. Uh, he, he attacks Fox News. And Fox News is not exactly the most conservative news outlet out there. I mean, it is. It leans right, as we know. But it's more of a neoliberal uh, It's mainstream liberal, GOP, liberal. really. Exactly, exactly. And, this, and, of course, you know, that's not a slight upon them. I'm not trying to insult anyone. But the idea that, oh, we have to fight back against Fox News of the world because they're the guys who've been attacking the press for so long. I mean, almost every single news outlet in the country barring Fox News uh, leans uh, uh, left. Uh, and, yet, and yet Fox continues to rack up the highest viewership numbers. It continues to set uh, the debates in Washington, D.C. and indeed around the country. Uh, and it does so from a position of almost complete and utter isolation. Yet Chuck Todd, with his immense wisdom, thinks that that's the problem, thinks that the minority... Uh, a viewpoint within the media world is the problem and needs to be squashed. Well, there's a word for that, but it's totalitarianism, and they will settle for nothing less.
0: I got to say, I, I'm always a, a little bit uh, both amused and and agitated when I hear people in the media say, "But Fox News," and I say that it's one channel, folks. Do we have to do the math for you? Over- <laughs> Over ninety percent of of journalists are are Democrats. I mean, it's this is not up for discussion anymore. But you know what, guys, I want to roll into a break here. We got our friend Raheem Kasam on the line. We've got a few more topics we want to we want to throw his way. Um, Raheem, where can people go to read more of your stuff? By the way,
2: oh, just all over the place at the moment. The best place is 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 my Twitter feed uh, at Raheem Kasam, uh, and everything I write across all different platforms is all there.
0: All right, well, we're going to come back with Raheem and talk about a Bannon versus David from throwdown, as well as uh, what's happened with some of the hijinks over on Capitol Hill this week. That's coming up. Social media platforms are in a lot of hot water right now because they're doing stuff to skew the conversation. And as we know, that goes against conservatives. You know, I've been telling you for a while that we might have to create another platform. Guess what? I'm now partnering up with a new platform called snippy.com, where you can have your say, your opinion matters, and that means that you get to share it without anybody trying to, you know, rain on your parade, folks, all right? This is a forum where people can feel free to express their thoughts, frustrations, ideas, anything. On snippy.com, you can write about what's on your mind, upload photos, and strike up a conversation. You can search by topic category, see what's trending, check out the news feed, and follow your favorite writers. Most importantly, folks, no left-wing bias. No progressive conversational health nonsense, all right? No censorship, no agenda ever. Check out snippy.com. Again, S-N-I-P-P-Y.com today or download the snippy.com app. Back with Rahim Kassam, formerly of, of Breitbart and a, and a advisor to former advisor to Nigel Farage uh, and just man about town, general sartorialist, uh, can talk your ear off about the best single malt. And and is I'm assuming, although I have not yet had the pleasure, a fantastic wingman if you're a single guy out and about on the town, uh, Raheem. We are we are in the midst of, of a uh, I think a a separation here, uh, with a, a media apparatus where a lot of the a lot of the big folks, a lot of the big names, refuse to ever sully themselves by approaching the other side. Now I think there's a criticism to be made of on both sides here. But I think conservatives are, just by nature, more willing to engage. I think this is true of the big anchors. I, I don't think that, they, you know, th- there's nobody that Tucker Carlson wouldn't have on his show, right? It's just a question of who will, who will go on his show from the left. Uh, and I think that the Manows and certainly the, the you know, the, well, Wolf Blitzer is kind of who would want to debate Wolf Blitzer. But uh, the, the Chris Cuomo's and these others, they won't ever dirty themselves up by actually having to engage the other side. It's always a, a fixed bout, a fixed match. Steve Bannon, uh, a friend and associate of yours, is going to have a throwdown with David Frum. Tell me about this, because I think this will be really interesting.
2: Yes. Well, you know, there are still debating platforms in the world that, that cherish uh, fleshing, the, uh, fleshing the arguments out. And the Monk's Debate series is one of those places. And uh, as, as, as I understand it, they approach both uh, uh, Steve and David Frum, who, for those that don't know, is a, is a, is a highly sort of establishment uh, Republican type. Um, who I think probably ended up voting for Hillary this time, but, but classes himself as, a, as an establishment Republican type anyway. Um, a, a couple of months ago, they were approached and asked, you know, hey, look, we've had some of the most uh, um, sort of rough and tumble debates of the past couple of years at the Monk debates in Toronto. Would you guys be willing to do it? Uh, and they both accepted uh, gladly. So credit to, credit to, well, credit to both of them, but especially credit to David Fromm, who, as you say, comes from a... Uh, a line of people now uh in the in the media world who tend to shy away from these things um because the stakes for them are too high. Uh to lose to someone like Steve, which I predict uh David will, um and and, and quite badly at that as well, um but, but to lose to them is, is 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 so would be so humiliating. It might cost them their column at the Atlantic, or it might cost them appearances on television shows, or it might cost them their next book deal and, and so on and so forth. So David has actually shown uh, some gumption and he has shown some some uh, uh, bravery here uh, by doing it. And I think it will be a throwdown. It will be it will be a pretty significant throwdown as well um, because as, as much as I disagree with David um i wouldn't call him a lightweight i wouldn't say that he is uh, uh somebody who doesn't know history who doesn't know uh, uh his constitution and, and who doesn't know the issues of the day um so i'll be there in toronto uh, i forget the exact date now maybe you have it in front of you but but if people are interested the monk debate m u n k uh tickets i think are available from about mid mid october so it should be it should
0: be fascinating yeah you know i actually had david on my show uh, on hill tv earlier this week and uh he he is very good on immigration, by the way. Very sound thinker on mm. immigration. Terrible on Trump and borderline insane on guns. But but not but, but knowledgeable and 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 eloquent. Uh, you know, he was a speechwriter for George W. Bush, which mm. we could talk about the the Bush administration another time. Anyway, I just thought that was interesting. That's one of the first times I've seen two people who are who are actual heavyweights for their side going at. I mean, you, what you see all the time is I, I forget what they're called, and you probably. Professional wrestling didn't have quite the same hold on the UK in your youth, probably, as it did in mine. But there are guys who come out and. Okay. You know, the guy
2: I mean, Rowdy Roddy Piper, (laughs) the British Bulldog, come on, bug. There you go.
0: Yeah, I mean, because the guy who comes out just so Hulk Hogan can body slam him and no one knows his name, and he looks like he's kind of pasty and could bench about a, a, about 85 pounds, and he's just there to, that is the business model when it comes to concern. A jobber, thank you, Brandage, a jobber. That is the business model when it comes to CNN and and conservatives. So I'm glad to see that Mm. they're moving in in a different direction there. I also just wanted your your reaction. We only got a couple of minutes here, Raheem. But, Mm. you know, the stuff that we've seen on Capitol Hill this week, I think it's been a fantastic reminder to the American people that uh, the left is actually crazy. It's not not just a thing we say.
2: Yeah, I think that's right. And it really pains me to say it now, because as I said, uh, I think before the break, Uh, You know, I'd really, really like it if our opponents had uh, some fight in them and some had had some good ideas and were able to put them across well, because it would actually help us hone our arguments. And who knows, it might end us up in a better place in terms of policy discussions and all that as well. Uh, But unfortunately, they are just, uh, uh, you know, sort of swivel-headed, googly-eyed. Uh, uh, screeching morons at the moment, led by people like Maxine Waters, um, and, and I don't say that to be churlish. I say that as a as a, as a sort of a, a diagnosis. I mean, they need help. They need uh, a prescription to make them better. Uh, they need it. They need it for the proliferation of their ideas, but also it it helps nobody um, in a in a in a either a two-party or a multi-party uh, uh, democratic nation. Uh, to have one side ruling the roost on the issues. And at the moment, the only people who are offering anything in terms of serious policy, the only people who are offering anything philosophical in terms of the debate, is the political right. Um, and, and I feel very badly about that for the left, because they do have some actual serious thinkers in amongst them, get shouted down uh, by the likes of Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez. Um, and, and it just doesn't, it doesn't end anywhere well for any of
0: us. And there was a huge, there was a guy there who was just dressed in an actual huge condom today to make his protest. So, so there's, of there's quite a. Of I don't know if you've seen that photo. It's on Twitter. It's, uh, it's pretty amazing though. A, a human-sized condom, courtesy of the progressive left. There you go, America. Uh, we, we got to leave it there. But our friend Raheem Kassam is always running around doing stuff. Check him out on Twitter. And uh, and Raheem, please come back and hang out at the Freedom Hut again soon.
2: Always love to. Thanks for having me. Bro.
0: All right, team, we're going to uh, be closing up the hour here pretty soon. we got roll call, but uh, first, some other thoughts. So uh, stay right there, and we'll be back in just a moment.
2: If people come out and vote, then you win. Then people win. If they
1: don't come out and vote, then they have nothing to complain about. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's
0: been... Look. I wish I had some kind of high ground. Yeah. Another thing that I constantly get told, including by my kids, is that I'm part of the problem. I get told that all the time, which secretly I have always believed. What does that even mean? He's secretly part of the problem. You know, you know, folks, this is where you really see it. You know, when you, when you have bro Cuomo, it's like, hey, you know, you got to get out there, you got to vote. Hey, uh, when you got bro Cuomo, on the the late night shows, it's just all part of one apparatus in the media. It, it's a it's a giant self looking ice cream cone, and they don't understand. And this is why the the Chuck Todd editorial they don't want to believe the truth. You know, this is something that you see with with people. I don't care what industry you're in, but some people who are very successful are deeply humble because they have a real understanding of the luck. That I don't care who you are, if you are very—I'm not saying you haven't worked very hard, or whatever—but to be incredibly successful in whatever your profession is, there requires a degree of of luck, right? You have—you are fortunate. Some of you would say blessed, um, but there are others, and this is very common among the media types who think that their success is just the result of their absolute and pure exceptionalism. And the moment that you begin to chip away at that, the moment you start to tell them, well, you know, there are really a lot of other people that could have done that job or perhaps would even have done it better, they don't want to hear that. They don't want that to be part of the discussion. Uh, It it, it undermines their sense of who they are. And they honestly just can't handle it. Uh, And that's why this current fight over the media that you see going on is, is so very illuminating, I think. Because instead of taking the the tact of humility, uh, they don't do that. They take the approach of, well, you know, we're awesome and we're great and we're all about the truth, and everybody who doesn't think so is is basically terrible and trying to ruin the country. I mean, that that's that's really you know, in summary form, how they view it, and that's just not that's just not a reflection of reality. You know, also I we we just spoke to Rahim Kassam before about the Bannon uh, about the Bannon being disinvited from the New Yorker festival thing. And I, the fact that Jim Carrey, who cares what Jim Carrey thinks about anything? Yes. In the nineties, he was really good at making funny faces and potty humor. That's it. That's all. I mean, they, this the, the guy he had to speak about somebody who got really lucky. Yeah. He was talented, but he also got really lucky. And he now has a say in the national political conversation and some fact It's just absurd. It's just absurd. The guy's an ignoramus. But you also had uh, Jimmy Fallon, I think. And I was a little disappointed to see this, but I think he's still uh, nursing his wounds over the whole Trump hair-tussling incident where he was just trying to be funny and be a little whimsical and got annihilated by the left for, quote, normalizing Trump by tussling his hair. But Jimmy, Jimmy Fallon, I think... I, I, it might have been the other Jimmy, but I think it's Jimmy Fallon pulled out of the uh, New Yorker Ideas Festival after Bannon had already pulled... had, had been disinvited... That's a real profile in courage. You know, once it's been, once the guy's been disinvited, then come out and say, yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to go that thing either. I didn't need that. It's nothing. There's nothing I need there is, you know, it's, it's the thing that I don't need. Oh boy. Folks, I keep saying it. This, this is what we are up against. A, a really, uh, diseased mentality of progressivism. I mean, a leftism that has become toxic. Uh, Leftism has rotted. It's always been wrong, but now it's gone to another place. But we can escape to roll call now. Stay with me. The show ain't over yet, folks. It's time for roll call. Before we get into roll call, I just wanted to say, team, that I saw a headline Today that goes in the, in the pantheon of Wow headlines. Quarantined Vanilla Ice offers to solve Eminem machine gun Kelly feud. That this this really happened, folks. Uh, apparently, Vanilla Ice, who is uh, somebody that I will forever associate with my childhood, because. Ice, ice baby. We all, we, are, you are singing with me. I don't care where you are across the country right now. You are singing with me. Do, 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 You know, he, he ended up getting sued by David Bowie's, whoever owned, I guess it was Bowie himself or whoever owned the rights to that song. And uh, under pressure,
2: under pressure.
0: Uh, and he, he lost all the money that he had left from the Vanilla Ice song. Uh, but it, it, just be honest, folks. And Brandon, I know it's true of you. When I say stop, collaborate, and listen, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Okay. So he he made a a mark on on culture for better or for worse. But he was in a he was in a plane coming back from Dubai, and there he said he tweeted out. This is from Vanilla Ice's official account. Stuck on the runway with like a thousand police, ambulances, fire trucks. This is crazy. And then. Uh, he also offered—well, this is because there are apparently 100 people sick on the bottom floor. So happy I'm up top. It's a double-decker plane. This is crazy. And I don't know when he got into the Machine Gun Kelly thing. Um, oh, yes, he he did weigh in on that. He says, these two have a problem. Yo, I'll solve it. And it was Machine Gun Kelly and Eminem. I, I don't know anything about—I didn't know rap—Branded a rap feud still a thing? This I guess still- so. I, I, this is the first one I've heard about in a long time. You
2: know, I think but, it's because uh, Eminem just dropped, as the kids say, a new album.
0: So that's oh, why it's okay. a big thing.
2: And also, okay. if I may, Go Ninja, Go Ninja, Go. That was my f-
0: favorite Vanilla Ice song. I mean, from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, The Secret of the Ooze. Of course, dude. See, this is this is our childhood coming back to, to visit upon us now with Vanilla Ice. He's also a DIY TV show host now. So just, just remember that, folks. A man of many talents. Stop collaborate and listen ice is back with the brand new it- okay i'll stop all right uh facebook.com slash buck saxon if you want some action in the roll call and let's go, I, by the way I, i've decided that until we get our new email up and running we're just doing facebook from now on i can't keep logging in and logging out of i forget the password and then i get angry I, you know I, i've blown whole afternoons just trying to figure out my password to something and then got to do the all the, you know, the oop-de-oo and the loop-de-loop and running around. Okay, here we go. James writes, one thing I'm not seeing a lot of these days is white cats. And I mean that literally. I see a lot of black cats here in Norfolk, Virginia. Maybe a few gray ones. Brown ones here and there. I am suspecting the worst. Antifa is involved in killing the white cats. Gut feeling. Um, James uh do, Brandon do you have anything to add to that I'm I, I don't know about the white cat dearth I don't know anything about this are you a cat guy my girlfriend has a cat so yes so you're you're you are then by transitive property of cats a cat guy yes all right do you have a white cat she has no it's not white it's kind of like a brownish kind of cat but yeah I, I don't think that's case that white cats are being exterminated no I, i don't think so either but i will say that white cats are for bond villains so i'm glad we i'm glad we clarified that michael up next here hi buck i just watched the first episode of jack ryan on amazon and have a question do all analysts get extracted from birthday parties by coast guard helicopters shields high from the people's republic of connecticut by the way doesn't senator blumenthal resemble the stereotypical ss major who's always threatening to report to the general staff if politics don't work for him, there's always a job in Hollywood. Um, at, on the Jack Ryan thing, I uh, I haven't seen it yet, but I will tell you that I did watch recently The Hunt for Red October uh, for the, I don't know how many if time, the millionth time. I watched The Hunt for Red October, and it's so good. And uh, I, I got to say that I, I really enjoyed that little trip down memory lane, but when they when they pull him out of, uh whatever he's essentially academia they pull that jack ryan out of academia and have him doing all this really cool stuff i remember thinking this didn't happen to me when i was in the cia you know it's not really it's not really how it goes there's some interesting stuff i don't know i have thought about this guys i didn't i never wrote a book about my time in the cia because i didn't want to be one of those guys who you know was was forced to try to i see this with a lot of i'm just going to tell you with a lot of the i was in the cia here's my book books Um, You get one, the high-level guys, meaning the guys who ran the place, and uh, they're not particularly, you know, they're not particularly interesting because they're going to be very, very sanitized. And then on the other end of it, you have guys who didn't do very much and they feel the need. I read one memoir, and this was, you know, an official, cleared memoir of somebody who had been in the CIA. And he starts talking about a bar fight he was in. I was kind of like, eh this is not really, I don't need to hear about, I don't really need to read about this. It's not. So, and I felt that there, so people tend to, you know, I could only do it if I could write it with a bit of sarcasm and a little bit of of dark humor. Um, But I would also say that, uh, that I've thought about just clearing a bunch of things so I could tell you guys some, some real CIA stories because I did do some, I got to do some pretty cool stuff and it's been long enough now that as long as I, checked out with the pop, uh, the proper authorities, and, and they signed off on it, uh, there would be no, I mean, it's, none of the stuff that I would tell you would be, would be sensitive, and so, I, but I, I'd have to go check with Langley. I'm thinking about it. Now that the Jack Ryan show is out, I will give it some thought. Okay, now we got Taylor, who writes, the Buck Sexton Show podcast, booyah! More time to hang with Buck. Well, Taylor, more time to hang with Taylor. So, uh, I appreciate that you enjoy that show, and Like I said, we're going to start releasing a daily Buck Sexton Show podcast earlier in the day, hopefully up most days before 12 Eastern. That'll be just your rundown of what's going on in the news cycle, so you can really kind of get it early, and I'm hoping that everybody will get a chance to listen on that. And then later, you can join me for the whole three-hour broadcast of the Buck Sexton Show on radio, or any parts of it that you have time to join for. Uh, that's, That's the way we're going to structure it. Basically, I don't like waiting until later on in the day to have any connectivity with Team Buck. I, I want to talk to you guys earlier, and then later on we could spend the full three hours diving into things. So that, that's, that's the approach. We'll give it a shot. We'll see how it goes. I, I think it'll, I think once we get into a rhythm with it, it'll be, it'll be great. Uh, Josh writes, Hey Buck, I heard you filling in for El Rushbo about two years ago. And I've been listening to a lot of your podcasts ever since. You, offering an inter- you offer an interesting perspective I can't find anywhere else. Uh, well, thank you very much, Joshua. Very kind of you to say. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's an honor and a privilege to have held the mic for El Rushbo at various times in my past. And I really like that I've brought over so many people uh, who, are, who are El Rushbo listeners have also become part of Team Buck. So that's uh, a great yeah, – well – I was going to say, a great testament to the excellent taste of El Rushbo's audience. So there you have it. Jason writes, the Pensacola Star Tribune is better known as the Pensacola News Journal. Yeah, Jason, I know. I'm sorry. I, I didn't know the name of the local paper. I got, I got that one. Yeah, and I said I got it wrong. I said whatever it's called, the Pensacola News Journal. That's not the greatest name for a paper I've ever heard. That that doesn't really, I don't know, doesn't really tell me much. Not a really big fan. Uh, but thank you, Jason, for clarifying that one. Kyle writes, Buck, I was a never-Trumper for a long time, and he still grates on my sensibilities. But when I hear clips of code pink banshee cries from the Senate chamber, hello, I had to think to myself, this is why he will vote for Trump in 2020. You know, Kyle, I think, that's, I think that's very apt, my friend. I think that's totally fair. I, I, I'm, I'm sure you're not alone in that, by the way. I think a lot of folks feel that way about all of this. They feel like, you know what, man? This is just, the left just needs to not be crazy, and they can't do it. They can't do it. If if they could just manage to sound more sane, then I think we'd have much bigger trouble on our hands than we do. Uh, so, yeah. Anne writes, Buck, why so silent on the current crisis in the Catholic Church? You haven't mentioned it at all that I can tell. Uh, well, and I haven't been silent on it. We had uh, Matt Walsh on uh, recently to talk about it. And Matt Walsh is one of the most vocal Catholic uh, and just, I don't know how else to say it, both barrels critics of the whole situation in terms of the way to hire I mean, look, everyone's, everyone is... Uh, has, has rage about what was done to uh, these victims. But I'm talking about it, it being a critic of the hierarchy and of the Pope himself. So it's not fair to say we haven't covered it. Uh, and in terms of not covering it enough, uh, you know, I, I, I wonder, I, I guess, you know, every time, every day I'm on the show and I try to think, what can I do that's adding to either the knowledge or insider, con- just the conversation that folks are going to have when the show is done? And on the Catholic Church scandal, there's just a part of me. Yeah, it's it's terrible, and as a Catholic, it is uh, deeply unsettling. And I want there to be a fury unleashed within the Catholic hierarchy uh, to just clear out not just all of this behavior, of course, which in many cases we're talking about vile criminal behavior, or even then you add to that just the unethical behavior. I mean, it's. It's it's unacceptable for priests to be sleeping with uh, you know priests in their early twenties as well, right? I mean, there's there's a lot of things that 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 have come out as a result of the recent revelations. Uh, but no, I, I want I want righteous anger from the top down, and we're not getting it. I think this pope should resign or, or step down or whatever the the papal you know the papal version of that may be. I, I think he should no longer be the pope, which is quite a thing to have to say. Uh, but I don't. I don't see any other way around it. I think his silence on this issue recently is abominable. And a lot of people turn to the church for, or look to the church for for leadership, especially on ethical and moral issues. And right now, you're not getting that from the hierarchy. There's no question about it. And so, you know, that's, so, and don't, don't ever think that uh, I'm not, or I should say, I, I would hope you never think that I'm, I'm skipping over it because I don't, Think it's worth our time sometimes, though. it's just once I'm on the record with something, I if I don't have more insights to bring to bear on it, I, I will t- I tend to wait for there to be an opportunity where I can actually do something. So, uh, that's that's gonna be it for uh today, folks. I've gone a little long here, um, but I do appreciate very much you all writing me, um, and uh, do. Prepare to, uh, prepare, no, but really pr- prepare to join me on the Buck Sexton Podcast starting next week, which will be every day. So if you're a live radio listener, if you listen streaming, the Buck Sexton Show Podcast is going to be out every day, probably by lunchtime, and it'll be a rundown, just a straight through rundown, folks. Very, no no filler, no fuss, no muss. Uh, that's that's going to start on Monday. Very exciting stuff. Uh, so thank you all for joining. Great to have you here. Until next time, Shields High. I talk about SimpliSafe home security a lot on this show, and it's because it is simply a great security system. Fantastic protection, very easy to use, and I've got some incredible news. SimpliSafe is a billion-dollar company now, folks. It's valued at a billion dollars. I've known these guys a long time. I've been working with them a long time, and here's what makes them great. SimpliSafe gives you comprehensive protection for your home with round-the-clock professional monitoring and police dispatch. You get protection against intruders, fires, leaks, and burst pipes. And simply safe keeps working during power outages, whether it's down Wi-Fi or even if a burglar smashes your keypad. System's very easy to use, incredibly intuitive, and takes just minutes to set up. Uh, so check it out for yourself. With simply safe, there are no contracts or hidden fees. Order your simply safe system now. My listeners get free shipping and free returns. Visit simplysafe.com/buck. That's Safe. S-I-M-P-L-I, safecom buck to protect your home. SimplySafe.com slash buck.